Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Powderheads, a carpenter additive podcast. With each episode of Powderheads, we bring you the minds of industry experts and delve into topics that are defining how additive manufacturing is making an impact on our world. We're staying in the UK again for our latest episode. Nick Weeks, General Manager of Carpenter Additive's Liverpool facility, speaks with Mike Adams, CEO of Hyetta Technologies, a product development and production company specializing in the use of additive manufacturing. Mike walks us through the start of Hyetta and how they've developed and built their business, relying very much on collaboration. The exchange on university graduates and the engineering career paths available to them nowadays was also a good bit. Thanks for listening and enjoy the conversation. So Mike, welcome to Powderheads. Um, Thank you Thank you very much for giving us a chance today to to have a chat with you. Uh, Do you want to start by just giving us um, a bit of background about yourself and how you got into the additive manufacturing industry? Uh, Yeah, cool. Um, So I'll start with, uh, my name is Mike Adams. I'm a CEO and one of the founders of uh, IET Technologies. So we are a a company that was set up in 2011 uh, by a couple of, uh, I'd like to say young budding entrepreneurs, but actually we were quite old. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, but uh, uh, kind of classic mad mad inventor and and business uh, um, head, if you like. So my partner, Drummond, he's the mad inventor. And uh, I, I kind of come from uh, a kind of uh, um, business and uh, mergers and acquisitions, uh, opportunity creating background. So we got together via um, uh, an associate. And um, I remember Drummond at, at the time showed me this, this um, newfangled technology that uh, he'd been working on called additive, man- uh, additive manufacturing. And he showed something that um, he could make traditionally and something which is half the size and, and really light uh, in this newfangled technology. And that was the bit that, that sold me really. Mm-hmm. And it went off and it was just one of those timing moments in life. It, additive manufacturing was everywhere. It was uh, newspapers in the UK, it's the same like the Financial Times, the Times. And, and, and when was this, sorry? What? This would have been around about 2000, uh, well, we probably started talking around 2009, 10. Okay. And then we started the company up about 2011. Mm-hmm. Um, and we kind of worked out that by the time all the hype had kind of come through, that it would probably be uh, ready to be commercialised around uh, 2021, 2022. Okay. Um, and we were tracking pretty much to track, and then this nasty little thing called the pandemic came along, and so all the time is just like, yeah. Yeah. So uh, generally, it, it, it's, it's gone pretty much as we expected. Okay, and uh, I was yeah, I was going to think uh, everyone has been slightly affected by this uh, this this uh, global pandemic that we've been uh, living through over the last year or so. Um, so now that you're in 2020, 2021 now, ha- um, where where else have you got you've got to go with it? Where what have you solved, and what do you you've still got left to uh, to tackle? Well, I think one of the I think. There are a lot of truisms that have been proven. So, so the advantages of the technology are pretty evident to see now. Um, you can see it in, in some of the, uh, if you like, geometric possibilities of, of what you can develop. So if you, if you think about us as a company, we make heat exchangers, but essentially what we do is sell complexity. I, um, to, to, it's all about the physics and, and getting as much surface heat surface um, area and into a space as small as possible without actually 
and changing the physics of, of what's going on, which is very much suited to additive manufacturing. Um, and what you're trying to balance is how, how far you can push that um, compared to how mature the, the machine is that you're working on. And unfortunately, both of those things are advancing at a pace. So you're trying to balance um, the, the risk of pushing too far in either the technology you're creating or the, the machine you're creating on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, or creating it on, if you see what I mean. So, so if, you're, if you're too conservative, you're not adding enough value to, to your customer. Yeah. Um, but if you push it too far, you've got right to the edge of the working envelope and, and things can fall off the other side, obviously. Exactly. So, so you can kind of measure it in, in simplistic terms. If you get too close to the edge of the envelope, you just end up throwing more bits in the bin. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you have to figure out why you're throwing them, the bits in the bin and then actually to actually make it uh, commercially viable for both you and, and the client, you have to get it down to um, an acceptable sweet stock. Mm-hmm. And that depends on both the maturity of the products and the maturity of the market you're going into. So it becomes quite a complex problem to manage. And the your everything you're having to do is, is must be adapted because the, I imagine the design through the a project with someone is changing uh, daily, weekly, uh, regularly, uh, and also the, your understanding of the, the equipment that you're using and how far you can push it is changing as you go as well. Yeah, so, so how do you manage that? Um, it, it's tough, to be honest, um, and, and you have different challenges. So we do um, a lot of innovation-based work where we are our job in, in those kind of roles is to push it as far as we can. Um, but you to do that to a certain point and then eventually you have to turn it into a real product and then you, you start to bring in the manufacturing developments to um, reduce the, the amount of risk you're putting into the system. So it's almost like a classic stuff where you do a proof of concept where you can show something like, uh, I understand this will work, I can see how it'll work, okay, it uh, it's not absolutely perfect, but I know I can now invest a bit more time and money into making something that, that fits the bill for for its particular application, if that makes sense. And what we, as a business, what we do is, is we manage that life cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, what we tend to have is a lot of very uh, multi-skilled, multi-talented engineers rather than just one type of skill that makes sense yeah no that that makes complete sense i think i want to get back to that a little bit later about the the skill set and how do you uh, find uh, the right the right people the right innovators to, to to join your business but i think just focusing on the the am technology uh, right now one of the things you're doing is managing it, the, the the pace of change of the am machine at the moment is 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 quite still very quick from where the, the air machines were uh, five, ten years ago to where they are today and where they're probably going to be in the future. Yeah. Uh, how do you manage that that sort of feedback loop and that trial and error um, versus actually getting something out to your customer, a, a tangible product out to your customer? Um, it's a common, so we're very lucky. So we've got a, a, a lot of very um, understanding clients who understand the um, if you like product life cycle they're in um, and we're also very lucky that uh, in the sense that we built we work in a, 
a particularly collaborative way. So we're normally um, not only highly integrated with, with um, someone like our machine supplier, where we're working in with them and talking about where they have to take the machine next, what kind of R&T they, they should be putting in. Uh, we constantly um, have discussions about actually what is it we sell. Um, so it's not just their machine and it's not just a bit of metal. It's actually we what are we selling? So what we need to sell at the end of the day is a product that satisfies the customer's need, and um, they can uh, they know that in making that they will deliver with confidence, and that's effectively mm -hmm. what you're selling. Um, and actually, we have to balance the teams to do that. Um, one of our more successful areas is, is if you like um, autosport. Mm -hmm. So actually, you take those two teams types of teams and you've got um, an interest quite an interestingly aligned uh, dynamic in that uh, the, the kind of uh, teams who are in autosport they have a race and they need to perform as fast as they can in that particular race but there is a deadline uh, that they have to hit so we both need to understand that um, but actually when we get to that um, that point we have to uh, the best performance we can get out, out of that particular part in that situation adds to the viability of both uh, both partners in that in that project if you want to make so we're, yeah, no. uh, we're, we're adding real value to, to our customer and they win more races so therefore they win more races they're more interested and more um, confident in the services that we're providing the products that um, uh, we're producing and unless you have that kind of collaborative dynamic, some of the stuff that we do becomes much uh, much harder to um, deliver in the sense that it's, for me, it's not really an industry at the moment where you can um, be too classically hard-edged or um, contractual because it's just not uh, predictable enough for yeah. me, anyway, personal point of view. You've got to accept that. Nobody knows exactly how the machines work at the moment. Nobody really understands totally the physics. And actually, because of the types of products we're doing, we're still learning about the, um, the problems that we're going to uh, face. So if you put all of those things together, unless you have a joint team that understands that you've got to support each other and all of those things, it's always going to be difficult. Yeah, I think I really like the fact that you to talk about the autosport industry and that creates hard deadlines, the race is on this date, no one's moving the race because you can't make the part you want to make mm -hmm. in time. Um, and the fact that if your part brings them success, that that brings opportunity to, to do more with them and, and collaborate deeper. That's um, that's like a really great example of how to drive some innovation, I think. And mm -hmm. uh, it's really good to see that you've got that. The, the, the collaboration side, it, it's, it's obviously a, a two-way engagement um, so I imagine there's a lot of learning that your customers doing from you and the way that you're doing things. Um, so they, they understand the, uh, the power of what you can offer them. Is that, um, I presume you also learn a lot off the customer as well in terms of what their needs are. Yeah, so when we, uh, we actually, funny enough, we did spend, myself and my partner spent a lot of time trying to figure out what we wanted to be as a company almost two years it took us before we even put pen to paper mm -hmm. um, and 
it was really interesting at the time um, looking at where you saw a great deal of innovation um, and a, a great deal of let's say high risk technologies being yeah. applied um, and at the time the uh, what you were seeing is, is that uh, pharmaceuticals for example, is a great example where, where you saw um, much more of um, a focus into working co collaboratively than trying to do it all yourself mm -hmm. um, and actually when you're a small itty bitty startup uh, with a couple of PCs and, and a cafe to work at <laughs> what you do know is you don't have all the skills and you don't have the capability so you have to think how do I, I know what I want to achieve so how do I get there and you tend to do that by working collaboratively. So we, we kind of looked at the pharmaceutical model and we said, well, okay, how are we gonna uh, develop something that is such a technically challenging problem um, as a small SME? Mm -hmm. You've got to collaborate. And we also were very lucky at that time, so um, serendipity is a great thing. So we, I think we timed um, our progress into additive at the right time, mm -hmm. so the level of interest and in what people wanted to do. But also um, the UK government was uh, very supportive of that additive as, as a long-term strategy for the, for the country. Mm -hmm. So um, they provided a lot of funding. And part of that funding, uh, which also was very clever, forced you to collaborate with lots of different companies, universities, places in, uh, that you wouldn't necessarily um, kind of approach if you just looked at it as, as a kind of into the um, typical commercial organisation. So we've, uh, by design, we've grown up as a, a, a collaborative company and I think uh, our intent is to stay that way. Yeah, that's really good to hear. And have you found um, the industry, I mean, obviously you've got a background in other industries as well, have you found the industry to be, most people to be open and collaborative or... Um, is it, there's certain parts of the industry that are more collaborative than others? I, I think, just being open and honest, I think there's always a spread across mm -hmm. areas yeah. no, and no. stuff like that. There are some people who are very comfortable with it. Uh, there are some people who are, um, like to be very protective about IP yeah. and that kind of stuff. I, th I think um, it's also quite interesting as well. That, um, so in, in my past... Uh, done a lot of partnership arrangements and stuff like that and whatever people say it does tend to be driven by individuals and when those individuals move on unless you've rekindled that uh, the, the kind of one-to-one -one partnerships uh, and the um, human to human interaction those partnerships can fall apart so what I would say is that I find most AM people are collaborative uh, and open is always. Uh, I think everybody always wants to to look after their own um, crown jewels. Yeah, but generally they're very helpful. Uh, uh, collaboration has been a, a big theme of these uh, Powderhead podcasts. I think nearly everyone we've spoken to has highlighted the need for it and how that's helped them get started in the industry or move somewhere in the industry. So it's really interesting to hear you echoing uh, a lot of the same a lot of the same thoughts, I guess and. That, that relationship side of thing is, I think it's definitely, I completely agree with you, really important and, and you need to build a relationship with someone to be able to trust them, to be able to be more collaborative and, yeah, and share so. your, your information with them. 
And uh, we have, I think as an industry, we, we have to be honest with ourselves. It's still a relatively small industry. Yeah. Uh, we don't produ- we produce as even as a uh, as a whole we produce relatively small numbers of parts. Yeah. Um, and actually, our knowledge of um, pr- let's say production, even it, uh, even in the people who are doing more, is still relatively limited. And I think you raised a point earlier. It's lo- a lot harder trying to predict what it's going to look like in five or six years mm. um, which is, is kind of interesting because you're also now seeing you've seen multiple technologies yes yeah, the, the different technologies available are still getting wider aren't they yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and you're, you're using predominantly the, the powder bed fusion process yeah. here but there's so many others coming on the market that can, that, that, that can turn your head and you go oh, maybe it should be binder jet that I'm looking towards yeah, yeah, or maybe yeah, it should yeah. be more of a DED technology yeah. or a hybrid technology and it's um, it, you've got to stay focused but you don't want to stay focused on something that, that isn't going to uh, sort of come out the end of it I guess so it's yeah it, it's yeah it's a really exciting and, and, and fast paced uh, industry but you're right it is small um, and really complex. So I, I think we completely agree that you can't be a master of all the all the areas of it. You can't understand the material side of it, yeah. the, de- the design complexities, uh, how lasers work, and yeah. topology, and all that sort of stuff, and do it all all yourself. So you need to work together. I think um, one of my, my uh, um, less popular comments, I guess, in the industry is. At the end of the day, um, you can almost say AM doesn't matter. It's all about the product. Mm-hmm. So um, you have to make something that improves uh, somebody's um, position in life, either by making products more efficient, satisfying that and the you have to satisfy something that somebody wants yeah and actually the fact that we make it on am should be an advantage to us but if we lose sight of the fact that you're making something to add value to a customer or to someone else you're losing sight of why you're there yeah that customers are coming to you for an additively manufactured product they're coming to you for a product that's going to be X percent more efficient or lighter or yeah, smaller. We wouldn't agree with that. We do actually. One of the more interesting questions that we do get people come sit down mm. to us and say, actually, we just want to do. We're told we have to look at additive manufacturing. Okay, and we sit down <laughs> and talk to them, but they don't really know why. Yeah, uh, but someone's told them they have to go and look at it. Um, it it's hard. Because uh, you you want people to be interested and understand the technology, you want you want them to be um, understand the possibilities. Um, but you do uh, you do have to move them away from I'm just doing this because I'm doing it in AM. Because if that's what you're doing, there's no reason to do it. Because most of the time you're not going to make it cheaper. So you have to add value of some something. Yeah. So you have to find the right. Um, I think everybody in the industry probably says this, you have to find the right opportunity and then you have to kind of add value. I think it's more than that for me. If I was an evangelist about anything, it is this, 
you need to understand where where you're going and what you are. I use the term self, but it could be could be anything. It could be um, you want to reduce carbon emissions, or you want, but you need a reason why you're doing it. Yeah. Okay. I think that makes sense. And the I guess the the hype around additive manufacturing has driven people to say, I want to make a part for additive manufacturing, but it, it's that's a it's an okay starting point. But you've got to get to the the real world. What do you want to achieve? What what exactly. is it? What's the imp- performance improvement of your product that you're you're trying to achieve? And then can we get there through the the unique design that you can get to through additive manufacturing? Yeah, it's really good. Sometimes you have these conversations. They come in, and people come in. They're probably directed rather rather than that. Some people are generally interested, mm. which is great. It's fantastic. Yeah. But equally, some some people are directed to come and talk to you mm. and and sit down and say, Yeah, okay, let's look at this. And you go through it. And you sit down and say, well, this is going to cost you, why? And you can just see that the whole world crumble away to nothing. <laughs> uh, it's even worse. Sometimes, sometimes you do that and you tell them, you sit down and say, well, actually, you do realise this will cost more than uh, When that happens, it's an even bigger hole. Yeah. Uh, but uh, the, I would say Perito is a god. So <laughs> for, for every uh, kind of pe- people you talk to like that, you get the... the um, Twenty percent who absolutely get it. Yeah, they know why they're doing it. They know what they want from it, and, and they they can see where it's going. And those are the, uh, uh, those are the clients you want. Those are the gold dust to the industry and, and to everybody else. And they're the ones you create the, the collaborative relationship. Yeah, with. I think so. Yeah, uh, and I think that's very key because they they wouldn't stay with you if if it just becomes you know. So do you have a, a an application uh, with a customer that you can talk about in a bit more detail and the, the, the journey that you, you've been on with them? Yeah, so I, I do like uh, autosport as an industry um, because of the, the demands that you have. We have a pretty good and strong relationship with, with our customers in that space and, and we've um, developed uh, easy changes in that, in that space where we, we started from from the point that, uh, and we did actually start from the point as well, we know we can make this thing with this technology, but what am I going to get out of it? Um, can I make it um, uh, lighter? Can I make it um, uh, increase that performance envelope? But also then, can I um, can I use the advantages that I get with the geometry to, to help the whole system? So the, the other thing that we generally recommend people, uh, people to do is, try not to think about an individual component all the time but to understand where it sits in in the complete system so mm. and once again auto support is a great place to look at because you've got a limited amount of um, if you like real estate yep. within the shell of the car and actually what might seem to us like a completely ridiculous thing to do actually Allows the um, your partner to do something which might improve the aerodynamics or might improve the uh, uh, the pressure drop in part of the uh, part of the system, and being able to sit down with the, with the client and talk about those pros and cons, where where you get gain and where you don't get gain, is is that that's a great creative place to be. Yeah, uh, because you actually you. All the teams are sitting there, and they understand what what comes back to you. Understanding what you're trying to do, uh, it's less creative when they just say, 
put it there you go I want it to be like that and fit it in that box yeah. that kind of interaction for me it's the lifeblood of where the company started and um, uh, if I think back to the most enjoyable uh, parts of uh, growth it was when we were going through those um, those periods where we were all learning what, what was possible the yeah. art of what was possible now that's really interesting I think that so you're talking about like the, the systems engineering level that although you're you're uh, designing and building a heat exchanger from for someone it may increase the efficiency of the heat exchanger but it can also affect the upstream and downstream uh, parts of that system or the how the aerodynamics fit around it and there's a more holistic benefit than just the the, the efficiency of that heat exchanger right yeah unfortunately you uh, you we've got a great example sitting on, on the table here, where it is just a heat exchanger, but the uh, the amount of functionality we've been able to build into this heat exchanger is huge. Uh, the uh, number, so one of the things that people are aware of, I, I think, is that you can, if you like, combine functionalities into one component, if yes. like. yeah. people are aware of that. But actually, as you can see, on actually making it happen within a, a very limited space, is um, is kind of interesting, yeah. Um, and actually, is I guess part particularly kind of look at the, we were talking about the um, new technologies coming along. It still remains uh, one of the great challenges because the uh, the way the component comes out. Uh, isn't always how you think it's going to come out. <laughs> I don't know if anyone's yeah. ever told you this. Yes, yeah, yeah. But it doesn't always come out yeah. the same. Um, and actually uh, finding out how those those different orientations and and different fusions of concepts or ideas actually impacts what comes out of the, uh, the part is um, is really interesting. Uh, one of the, Probably once it, one of the more contentious area places. Uh, I think my view differs from. Let's say a classic engineer mm-hmm. is. Um, there is a tendency, uh, particularly on, in the older industries and areas, uh, that you can model everything out, all the risk out. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, much more of a, particularly where we're developing new technologies such as AM, um, there is as much value as, as trying to do that in parallel. Mm-hmm. So that you build and test at the same time rather than trying to model it today. And once going back to, to the period I was talking about, we were we were able to, um, uh, if you like, do a do a concept design, uh, build and test it in a week. So no matter what you say, you can't build, simulate it in a week because you don't know enough about what's yes. actually coming out of the machine yeah. to be able to simulate it. So you had to do it. Both, both in parallel, and because we've built our whole process and strategy around that, we, we just we could just move incredibly quickly. Um, and I think as more CA comes in, I think one of the dangers for the industry is is you lose that parallel track. Does that yeah. make sense? No, no, it does make sense. Um, uh, my, some of my previous experience was in traditional manufacturing uh, mm-hmm. and um, two points really resonated with me there. One was um, working with the, uh, the design engineers um, uh, uh, and you're working in this digital environment, you're working in, in some form of uh, CAD environment and they've done loads of simulations on it. 
and then you have to go and make it. That, as you say, whether you're making it out of something that's, that's cast or you need a complex fixture, there's a huge lead time waiting for that mm-hmm. uh, to get your first real result to make a component. And then it doesn't do what they thought it was going to do. And they go, well, why is that? And then they come down and have a look at it. And go, well, it doesn't look quite the same as it does on my, my nice <laughs> yeah. monitor nice back in the design hall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're like, no, no, yeah. it doesn't. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. and that's in the traditional process that people have, had 50 years to understand and um that's that that iterative process is in additive manufacturing is is a much shorter cycle time that you can Uh, learn that if you if you allow it if you allow it to and my worry for uh, certainly for us as a company i think for the industry it is uh we're allowing allowing us to convince ourselves that actually you could take that away and model it Mm -hmm. yeah um and i think for me, it's a, I'm not saying one's right or wrong, but I don't think, uh, so why am I saying is, I don't think one should be premium. I think you need to do both, my personal view. Mm. Until we, we absolutely understand the physics, uh, I think you need to run both and you need to run parallel and you need to accept that you don't know which one's right until you've built it and tested it. Yeah, I think that's that's some, that's a really good point. There. And so the... the the fantastic advantages and advances in digital technology uh, help collaboration and, and, and they help you with that understanding. Yeah. Um, but we can't forget um, that the trial and error, trial and error elements of uh, yeah, doing some work, creating something, and put it on a test bed and see, seeing what seeing what results you get. Exactly. So and they will mature yeah. eventually when, when you uh, so as you move through the TRL and MRL levels, you'll get to the yeah. point where. You know what you built is going to come out as yeah. close close to your plans as possible, but in, in the early stages, when it, it's the first time you run that geometry or you attempt that particular type of design, you, I'd, I'd say you don't know mm. what and it's going to come out like. So you have to have a balanced approach. We're not going to push the limits if you stay within the, the physical model or what the, the computer understands. As you say, you won't try the new geometry that it, the, the computer hasn't got a simulation for if you don't try, try it, which is, yeah, from the, the, like the human innovation of, of trying out something different. Exactly. And, you know, it's, it is worth thinking that uh, mm. all the great inventions in the world and the history of man, how many of those have come out from actually things that weren't planned and mm. were just absolutely accidental and we, we've had situations where we've made a leap in um, design understanding by a complete accident right yeah because actually the surface you get isn't what you're planning for actually yep. than, than what you're trying to design so unless you adopt that I, I think you're kind of losing something and I talked earlier about the pharmaceutical industry and seeing how many drugs are planned and designed for a particular application, but actually they end up being applied somewhere else where they add a, a much greater value. Mm-hmm. So um, I, th- I think it is interesting that we we go into an industry where our our um, statement is, oh, we get rid of all, all these geometry, we get rid of all these rules, and then the first thing we try to do is put all the rules back <laughs> and put all the yeah. things back. It's kind of, there's always a balance. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I, I, I like that. Yeah, those analogies of yeah, you, you find a lot of things out by accident, um, <laughs> and that 
and yeah, that that's really interesting. The uh, I, someone always told me about how metal cold spray came about was someone running a uh, an HVRF process where they, they they forgot to they forgot to add the the element that was uh, uh, the heat. Mm-hmm. They didn't turn on the um, uh, the oxygen burning um, capacity, but then. And I looked at it, and this was in a Russian lab somewhere, and you're sort of building up quite a romantic idea in your head. They looked at it, and they realised the powder's actually stuck, and they've gone, well, how's that happened, and why has that happened? And mm. from there, they've, they've created this uh, metal cold spray technology yeah. where if you just blast it hard enough, you get a, you get a, a mechanical and a chemical interlock that mm. um, you don't need to add that, that heat to. So, yeah, it's really interesting to see innovation born out of um, something you weren't expecting at all. Um, so my background is in, uh, in, in kind of engineering, uh, it's kind of more in robotics and, mm-hmm. and, and sound and software. I remember uh, when we first started this journey, uh, we were talking to people about uh, microturbines and turbines and being told a very similar story about turbine blades. Right. So that when uh, the origins of the turbine blade is they, they used to polish it almost to like a mirror finish. Mm-hmm. Because uh, they thought that would just make it much more efficient and all that kind of good stuff. And then someone forgot and put it in there and it had a really rough surface and, yeah. and it was some, a phenomenal difference in performance and they couldn't figure it out. So they got it out and they realised it wasn't polished, which is a similar kind of story. Yeah, no, that's, yeah, that, that is really interesting as well. And that's, yeah. the, um, that, that, that's really interesting in that the, the human perception is sort of like, mirror finish will be better yeah. um, so someone spends hours manually polishing it and then yeah. someone forgets and you get the uh, the airflow has just changed due to the uh, the surface roughness yeah. Yeah, yeah. and now there's a whole industry around vibra polishing to yeah. get the right surface finish which isn't it's not like zero RA they want a surface roughness between X and Y to get yeah. that, that that airflow yeah that's really interesting <laughs> and I think it's um, coming back to, to the breadth of New uh, machine talent coming out. It, it kind of comes back to one of one uh, challenges for for all companies. I think is there's no uh, there's no guaranteed powder belt pedal and there's no guaranteed binder jet or in or any of these other technologies. Or um, and it might be a combination of all of them. Mm. Um, but it's interesting. All of them will have a a different result on the same design. Yeah. And, yeah. and that that's quite challenging for the industry um, and then trying to figure out what is the, uh, the best type of technology for a particular application and you're, you're going to be balancing different things so you're going to be balancing cost and production speed for instance on one mm. side but actually some of these particularly for what we do where you're looking at surface finish and, and kind of all kinds of things like that, how to get the pad out and all that kind of stuff you might get advantage on, on one machine because those are easier or you get better results versus the machine over here which does it quicker and cheaper and actually I think for the industry at the moment nobody can answer those questions no and a, a lot of the technologies are moving at such a pace that what was a problem with binder jetting five years ago isn't necessarily the same problem uh, that you've got today yeah. and I certainly see some people make decisions or build requirements into specifications based on previous experiences they previous negative experiences they've had but they've had a problem they had a problem with um so in the, the powder what i'm talking about maybe powder contamination where they then um 
over spec potentially to mitigate that problem happening again where in some ways that the, the, the industry's moved on in a way that, that that's not as relevant and it can actually hold you back instead of allow you to move forward so it's um it's a really tough subject to manage all these different variables and come up with that that final solution isn't it it is and uh, i remember way back when we were talking uh, when we were looking at starting up an iron company um everybody was was um making the comparison with the early days of um, um if you like pc technology because mm-hmm. the, the pace of change was just so so high it's really difficult to predict and it's still high but in the first I mean when we started up you were seeing orders of magnitude improvement in a material quality and speed every three or four years yeah and even now you're still seeing some massive um, advances yeah Um, Moore's Law almost Moore's Law Uh, I think the difference between us and uh, um and uh, the kind of IT was not, um, is that actually the physical element of what comes out of the machine is uh, uh, is in there as well. So although we can make machines quicker and we can do stuff quicker, but actually what comes out, you still have to, every time you change these things, you have to understand what physically comes out of the beast. So yeah. have you change the material yeah. properties? Is it coming out differently? Has it made it better? Or actually has it made it worse? Yeah. And uh, that makes it quite a, an interesting area for the uh, the engineers. Probably uh, slightly more challenging for the economists and uh, yes, that yeah, kind of stuff. Yeah, no, I can I can appreciate that. Um, you talked about one of the like more enjoyable moments of what you've done was the sort of the, the collaboration, the innovation with uh, auto sports teams, and you you designed and iteratively got to uh, a really great product. How much of that is? Uh, I guess is supported by digital collaboration. Are you doing? Are you talking about this is much more face to face? Are you looking at CAD geometry or are you looking at real parts? Can you give us a bit of an idea of um, what you found? That's a very good question. It's particularly at, given what we've yes, seen. Yes, yeah, that's what I'm thinking. So a couple of interesting things. Um, at the time, it was much more. Uh, um, it was much more um, human interaction. We had a lot of human interaction. We still did all, all we were still sharing uh, drawings and we were doing all that kind of stuff, digital interaction. We were working on the same drawings, on the same documents, um, the, um, even up to uh, probably a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, funny enough, uh, just before the pandemic, we, um, so we're, we're a small company and currently quite hard. Uh, you kind of look at as as all uh, good businessmen do. You look at the the kind of economics of just getting more and more for space, and yeah. you're kind of thinking, actually, what do my team want? Mm-hmm. Um, and particularly that age group, because when we started the other thing, we we understood when we started the company is you couldn't go and buy the schools because nobody could do it. Mm-hmm. So we had originally set the company up with the idea that we would. Uh, bringing as, as many talented people as we can but actually grow, grow the skill um, and they are of an age shall we say and actually uh, they enjoyed the lifestyle they enjoyed the challenge all that kind of stuff and you kind of talk to them and they they liked the idea of, at the time not being in the office all the right, time okay. uh, they liked the idea of okay, I want to work more, more at home 
And so uh, we'd been talking about, do we do more of that? Mm-hmm. So um, it wasn't something that was particularly prevalent in our kind of industry. No. But we'd been thinking about it uh, as a way to, to balance all this stuff and actually just keep the, um, I'll use the term, um, I hope you take it in the right way, but as a young, vibrant team, you, you want them to be young and vibrant. And, and yes, yeah, no, no, I understand that, yeah. You want to kind of keep that, so we wanted to keep that feel, and said, well, actually, to do that, should we loosen up the, everybody has to be in the office idea. So we've been talking about it, and to be honest, we uh, we bought, we said, mm, I'm not sure we really ought to do that. We'll be able to, you know, make sure everybody keeps on track and stuff like that. And then pandemic came along, mm-hmm. and that was it. We had to do it in a week. Yeah. Bang. Um, and uh, all credit to the team, we managed to have everybody out, even with all the highly complex work we did, high, highly complex computers. Everybody was out working from home and interacting within probably a couple of weeks. And, and now we're nearly like 18 months through that. Um, I can tell from being here today that not everyone's back in the office five days a week. No. It is, where, where do you think you're going to get to in terms of the right balance to get I'll that collaboration think, and team? I think it'll be a hybrid. So mm-hmm. we'll have some people, who, well, we do have some people who want to come in. So some people thrive yeah. on, on that person, first yeah. contact. Um, and some people thrive not. I mean, that being able to um, just being able to focus on a particular t- uh, technical problem, and actually, all the other stuff is just noise, and actually, they just want to focus on it. Um, and the other thing that we found is it was great in the first lockdown, and everybody understood why it was happening. Uh, it was sunny, it was fantastic outside. <laughs> yeah. Everybody, hey, you got rid of the daily community. I've got time back. This is absolutely brilliant. Yeah. And then the second one went, it's chewing down with rain. Yeah. It's a howling wind. And actually, you've been in your bedroom or wherever you're working for two years. Yeah. It started to fall off a bit, as you'd expect. Um, so we we saw more problems in the uh, second or third, depending which one you count, second yeah. or third uh, lockdown, and suddenly it started to get to people. Um, but I think there's a balance in the middle. Yeah. And um, it's interesting when I go back to, as I said, we have been looking at it. One of the in some of the more creative industries, what uh, what we saw was was that they had a combination where they would have um, clusters of people. There'd be somewhere to meet, but people would come and go. Yes, okay. So, okay, if you've got a particularly exciting project or something, you have to get it. You go and you almost hothouse it for a couple of weeks. You're in that office, but then you go out again, you get space again, and then people yeah. come in and stuff like that. And I think probably as industries are more comfortable with um, being able to manage people that they they can't see, uh, which is good. And it clearly the, the digital technologies are a lot better. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it'll be interesting to see as we come out of this, and if you like the, the amount of bandwidth consumption drops whether some of those those lines of communications prove a bit because it's it's still a problem where you just don't get enough bandwidth but I think that's, that's just the nature of um, bandwidth <laughs> yeah and it the will change have, the more time. you want yeah you always exactly. want n plus one basically don't yeah, you yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no that's that's definitely a challenge I mean I my personal feeling is that having that option 
for a bit of both it is really important there's definitely parts of your your job no matter what you do where focus time when you can sit in a room concentrate on other people distracting you is really important and then there's times where you need to collaborate but also everyone has different home lives as well and actually uh, being able to sit in a room and be quiet and think isn't always conducive at home and sometimes it's easier to do it at, at work as well so it, it yeah giving people that 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 those different options is uh, uh is an important part of it i think yeah i think the other thing that's come out of it is it's how do i put this um it's probably proved i mean a lot of companies are doing this anyway but um, it's probably proven the practicality of of having um um if you like interactive uh, discussions across boundaries so um sorry um uh, um so it's proven that actually so so we work uh, very closely with the team in barcelona mm-hmm. for example and we can do that and it's as if we, we're talking about team in london or, yes yeah so that's much easier uh we we have uh, conversations with people in the states and that works uh, pretty easily there's a bit more time difference thing to deal with but the actual communication is decidedly better than it was three years ago. yes yeah yeah so it also brings on nicely to the um, uh, the people side of it. You talked about uh, multi-skilled uh, engineers being a key part of what you what you do. How do you find uh, recruitment and developing um, those sort of individuals and the the skills that you need um, for for what you're trying to achieve? Um, it's changed. Mm-hmm. So uh, when we started up, uh, we were pretty much the only company work the way that we do. Uh, um, now um, there are more people who want people in additive manufacturing, so the competition for skills is, is high. And mm. uh, obviously uh, it's very hard for any engineering company at the moment, uh, or manufacturing company at the moment, to, to say that um, conditions are good. Um, so um, I think I'll probably ask to come back in a year. Yeah, okay. That's a fair point. Um, but what I would say is, I'll say, I still think the industry um, and the opportunities is a great place for young engineers to come into. And, and do you think the, the course, the university or uh, college courses available are uh, developing the right skill sets to, to, to come into the industry or do, do you think they need to... Uh, change the way in which they're they're teaching today. I think I I, I wouldn't say that um, it's evident that the way that they are teaching people or interacting is demonstrably wrong. Mm. I think the reality of the industry is it lives in a world where. Um, well, particularly what we do, we live in a world where there are lots of exciting things. Uh, and some of those are easier, and uh, some may argue that, that uh, uh, there's an easier path to earning a living um, than yeah. in the engineering and manufacturing <laughs> world. So, yeah. uh, obviously, because of what I do, I spend a lot of time um, talking to other people and how you get investment and that kind of stuff. And you, you can look at where that money is going and where young people are excited. 
Um, and um, I wouldn't say it's the education, it's how we, we sell what we do. Yeah, that's interesting. And the opportunity, uh, so people can see, um, a classic example is, what do we do? We make really complex technical parts that uh, serve thermal problems. I'm sitting down there with let's say, the two best uh, mechanical uh, uh, engineers, uh, and they're sitting there and saying, well, I could do that, or over there, hey, look, they're developing a new phone app, mm-hmm. or virtual reality, or um, whatever that uh, could be, or finance. And actually, I think the bit that's missing is not necessarily the education process, it's the um, presentation of the value and uh, value that we create as an industry and the interest and satisfaction you get out of being in that space. So I put the problem there rather than uh, the kind of, uh, um, if you like, education process. I think that's, for me, that's a bit of a more of an excuse than. Mm. Okay, no, it's, uh, it's a really interesting. Um, really interesting line of thought on on that and I think um, one thing I've seen from the the graduates who are coming out of university is that people are much have much more exposure to um, the different disciplines of engineering now that than you would have uh, 10 15 20 years ago uh, in that they have a bit of exposure to a little bit of everything as well as well as something deep in in one particular area mm-hmm. uh, which allows them to when they get into their career, they can go in different directions. And just because they they did mechanical design engineering at university doesn't mean they have to stay a mechanical design yeah. engineer and they will end up just moving into the direction that the, the industry or the company needs them and where their interest lies. And I think that's a uh, potentially more exciting career than uh, just being, um, uh, being boxed as a, a mechanical engineer or yeah, an aerodynamics person for, uh, for the next 30 years. And yeah, I think their own expectation of what they want has, has changed as well. So uh, well, we, we talked to these guys and we did quite a lot of uh, research in this space. You know, sometimes they're thinking they're going to they might have uh, five or six careers uh, yes. in particular areas, which you can understand. Um, and actually, if you just think about the pace of change that we just talked about in, in this conversation, if you spread that across... Um, people's uh, lifetimes it's massive I think for an industry though what, what we have to recognise is um, that actually although we uh, we love to talk about having uh, experienced people come and solve the problem most of the innovation comes from people in their uh, early years mm. okay no, that's interesting and getting the, the mix of the two together is often um, that's the key. I- exciting as well and yeah. allowing um, the, the thought processes from uh, from both areas to uh, to come through yeah, yeah. No, that's great so um, I think we, we, we've had a really uh, really great chat today I think we've learned a lot about um, what you guys are doing and some of your thoughts maybe we could just finish with where, where do you see things going in the next sort of five years time you said you had a solid plan from sort of 2010 up to 2020 2021. Do you have much of a plan and a vision for the next five, ten years? Yeah, so some things are, will be harder, mm-hmm. undoubtedly, because the world has to recover from what's happened. Yes, yeah. Um, 
But actually, some things will be better. Okay. So in that in that sense, I'm, I'm probably more excited than I would have been. It sounds bizarre. So it's it's been a painful couple of years yeah. uh, for, for the whole world. Um, but actually, what it has forced us to do, and forced uh, particularly some of the areas that we work in, is to look harder and quicker at at um, more um, environmentally. Let me use that term: environmentally friendly. Um, power systems and drive systems and uh, energy systems, which is a re- certainly a really interesting space for us, and that opportunity will grow because you, you can see what everybody's saying is that it's people are becoming less skeptical. They understand that you need to move at pace um, a lot more, and actually we're an industry. That is almost, uh, and certainly we as a company, is designed to be quick. Yeah. Um, and actually, so as soon as that starts to filter out, people get a bit more confidence. Those markets start to recover, start to recover. The opportunities to exploit that ability to be agile and move quickly, I think, is really exciting. And that's something that. Um yeah, puts you in a really good, resilient place for, for the future in whichever direction uh, things, because there could be other uh, global scale changes that happen and, and that ability to be agile is a, a key element of your, your resilience. I think so, yeah. Brilliant. Well, Mike, thank you very much uh, for talking to us today. It's been um, uh, fantastic to, to gain your insights and um, um, I think we'll, we'll leave it there. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thanks for your time. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks very much to Mike Adams for participating in a Powderheads episode. Super interesting to hear about their journey through the industry and especially how they've managed through the pandemic and lockdowns experienced in the UK. If you have questions or comments about what we discussed in this podcast of Powderheads, send them to powderheads at carpenteradditive.com or visit our podcast page at www.carpenteradditive.com powderheads. We continue to build an archive of all our interviews there as well as additional material that provides insight and perspective on modern-day additive manufacturing. Powderheads is managed by Carpenter Additive and its parent company, Carpenter Technology, a global leader in specialty alloys for over 130 years. Our goal is to help customers solve their most challenging material and process problems. Learn more at carpentertechnology.com. Thanks again for listening. Keep building.